What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rock Strikes 10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show, and turn it up. Welcome to Rock
Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. Okay, it's now time for part two, the odds and ends, the year 1983. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you got to go back one episode and I'll explain it all at the beginning. Plus, you don't want to come in late to a retrospective. Start at the beginning. So, we are still going A to Z as we are still in the odds and ends of 1983. We kick things off with a live track from Peter Gabriel, who I don't play a ton of Peter on the show. I like the guy. I respect the guy. But as I've been going through these 80s retrospectives, I haven't been ranking his albums especially high. But I did listen to this double live album that he put out in 1983 called Plays Live. Peter Gabriel Plays Live. And I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was real good. And that definitely was a highlight off of that one. Great live version of I Have the Touch. Which, a full disclosure, I think the first time I heard that song was via the Kraft soundtrack. I was talking about how in the last episode, the first time I heard Brian Eno's Deep Blue Day was on the Train Spotting soundtrack. But yet another 90s soundtrack hipping me to a song I hadn't heard before. And I was trying to remember who covered it. I want to say it was like Liz Fair or something like that. Did a cover of I Have the Touch. And I thought it was good. And that's a good live album for Peter Gabriel right there. If you're a fan, definitely check it out. I noticed that Tony Levin... His credit is the bass player, longtime bass player for Peter. Tony Levin, though, you probably own albums that he's played on. He's played with everybody from King Crimson to Alice Cooper and people in between. Definitely a heavy hitter on the session circuit in his day. Okay, as luck would have it, the next twofer I'm going to play for you right here comes from the exact same band because this band put out a best of in 1983, put two new songs on there, Not only is this best of an absolute scorcher, but I would venture to say that the two new songs on this best of, which new songs on the best of, definitely a true odd and end. These two new songs are probably the best two new songs ever recorded as new songs for a Greatest Hits album. I feel like that is a fact. The only other thing I could think of that comes close to it, which, honestly, this one I'm going to reference is probably the best song ever put on a best of, is September by Earth, Wind & Fire. I would say September is the best new song ever put on a best of album. But these two right here by Hollow Notes, and I think even Hollow Notes would agree with me that Earth, Wind & Fire outdid them a little bit. But these two new songs on Daryl Hall & John Oates' Rock & Soul Part 1 are absolute badass. I love them so much, I'm going to play both of them right here back to back. I feel like this first one you'll probably be a little bit more familiar with. If you grew up in 83 or you were alive during 1983, you'll probably be aware of the second song as well, but you probably haven't heard it in a long time if you're not an active fan. The two great new songs here from Rock and Soul Part 1, back to back here on Rock Strikes 10. Going to kick off this great Daryl Hall and John Oates twofer with Say It Isn't So.
I still remember Rock and Soul Part 1 getting released, and I remember getting the full length after a while with the calendar in it and everything. Does anybody have that with the 1984 calendar in it? But yeah, I also still remember totally asking my mom to buy me the Adult Education 45 with a picture sleeve, which I totally still have. I'm going to say totally a lot because it's the freaking 80s. But yes... I still remember it. I still remember that Maneater was the B-side because they were promoting the greatest hits right there. So, And I didn't know anything about anything at that point. I didn't know what adult education meant. But I just thought the song rocked, and I still think it rocks. So there you go. Great two for right there from Rocket Soul Part 1. Say It Isn't So, and then Adult Education. Both top 40 hits. That's how freaking on fire Hollow Notes were at that point in time. Basically sort of jinxing themselves with putting volume one in the title of your best of. Never do that, by the way. It's rare that someone can pull that off and come back for a volume two. And in a couple of people's instances, a volume three. But it's just kind of a thing you don't do because more often than not, there is not going to be a volume two. And in Hollow Note's case, there really wasn't one. They had one more big record after that. Then a couple of okay performing records. And then they kind of fell off, unfortunately. But there you have it. At the time in 83, they were invincible. They were bulletproof with those two new songs and a killer best of on top of things. So yes, let's get into another hugely influential, very important, all the adjectives, iconic, legendary, whatever you want to call it. When you hear this song, you are definitely immediately transported back to 1983 if you were alive then or have any kind of memory of it. You probably think of early MTV as well. The fun thing about just art and pop culture in general is the random things that happen that aren't supposed to happen. 
So as I was talking about in the 1973 retrospective earlier this year, all these subgenres are coming up like heavy metal, hip hop, punk rock. And by the 80s, they're all going to be like hitting next level status, selling records, influencing things, moving needles, all that good stuff. And out of nowhere, there's a big charting rap slash hip hop song by a jazz musician of all people. So for this song, which probably a good amount of people heard this kind of music, quote unquote, for the first time ever, was done by a jazz musician. Herbie Hancock has this killer song out in 1983, and I have to play it because I still love it. And it's a true odd and in. It comes off a mostly instrumental album. It is definitely instrumental. So I didn't really rank the record for that reason. I listened to it. I never heard the album Future Shock before in my life. And it's interesting, but this is clearly the banger off of it. So let's go ahead and play it right here. Turn it up. This is, of course, the award-winning Rocket.
yes, I bet you could see all those weird-ass mannequins, uh, animatronic, robotic mannequins all hanging around that house and that fucking weird skeleton goose or whatever it is just going crazy and shit. But of course, that's what I think of when I hear this song. I'm sure a lot of people do as well. That was Herbie Hancock with Rocket. And I said award-winning earlier because I think it's really one of the first songs ever to be awarded as an audio and as a video piece of art. So, yeah, there you have it. Rocket, a super important track from the year 1983. As we go to the underground for this next one right here, I would say after Prince, for sure, the most notable and best thing to come out of Minnesota music is this band right here, Husker Du, who very early on in their career, obviously, so early that this is off of their third release ever, came out in 1983, Metal Circus. Now, okay, here's the thing. Here's my disclaimer. I love me some Husker Du, and I love hardcore punk rock and all that good stuff. There's a handful of albums that are categorized officially as full-length albums. I just cannot in good conscience rank certain albums from hardcore bands as full-length albums if you're only going to be 20 minutes long. To me, that is an EP. That's an extended play, and I don't have really any of those albums on my top albums of 1983 list. Sorry if you think that's unfair, but that's just how I do it. So this particular track is actually representing two different releases from Husker Du in 1983. Everything Falls Apart and Metal Circus. They're both excellent and they're both very different in a way. And it's just one of those things I'll say over and over again. If you haven't checked out Husker Du stuff, you definitely should. One of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Really broke down a lot of barriers and made a scene happen out there for sure in Minnesota, which is great. So yeah, I'm going to play you one of my favorite songs by Husker Du in 1983. This one does come off Metal Circus, so turn it up. This is It's Not Funny Anymore.
The great Husker Du right there with It's Not Funny Anymore off of their EP, Metal Circus. Like I said, check that one out. Check out most all their stuff. It's all great. Bob Mould solo stuff, his Sugar Records, Grand Heart stuff. It's, yeah, cool friggin' band. Another cool guy right here that was definitely riding high in 1983 is Joe Jackson. Just came off his biggest record, Night and Day, the year before. And Joe, who definitely writes cool music, has got good arrangements. Someone asked him to score a movie soundtrack in 1983, a movie that wound up being called Mike's Murder. And I, once again, much like Flashdance, I've never seen this movie. So if anybody out there has seen this movie, let me know. Let me know you're listening. Uh, but yes, this basically acts like a Joe Jackson EP in a sense, although all the music is 100% by him, and it's definitely a full length, as in it's a 40-minute album or so. Half of it is instrumental and is intended as film score, which this this is basically just a bad luck release for Joe in a sense. I don't know how he actually feels about it, but what I do know is just reading up on it, it sounds like most of his music got scrapped for someone else's score that I guess the studio didn't like the music he composed for it, and he was out of that. But the album still came out as an official soundtrack. <laughs> so that's weird in itself. But at least Joe got to put these songs out. And sadly, this is one of those Joe Jackson albums that if you go to like any record store, especially used vinyl, you'll see this one pretty consistently out there. But I will say the half where he's singing, it sounds like classic Joe Jackson stuff. I actually thought the songs were pretty good. Even had a decent chart hit off of it with the song Memphis. I think it did pretty well. But this one's my favorite out of all the songs that he sung for this soundtrack. So check it out. This one's called One, Two, Three, Go.
Joe Jackson right there with the song called One, Two, Three, Go, and in parentheses, This Town's a Fairground. That was off of the soundtrack to the film Mike's Murder, which you can definitely find in most used record stores for sure, still to this day. Uh, but yes, I, I love Joe. Very curious to see how his records are going to do on some of these subsequent retrospectives through the 80s, because I know he kind of falls off a little bit in popularity, and I'm decently familiar with the second half of the 80s output that he has, but, you know, hey, we'll see. A band that's coming up here, fresh young burgeoning band in 1983, is a band called Jason and the Scorchers. Really cool rock and roll band. It's one of those cool bands that gets to ride a whole bunch of different subgenres and still maintain being cool no matter what they do. Some people give them the Americana tag, uh, the punk rock, kind of garage rock tag. Some people call that cow punk, whatever you want to call it. They are a killer band there, Jason and the Scorchers. And they have their second EP out in 1983 called Fervor. And definitely a fun listen. Not a bad place to start if you have never heard them before. And I listened to this album for quite a bit over the last few years, this little EP right here. And I never knew, because I'm not a fan of the original source here, but I never knew that this opening track, which happens to be my favorite song on the record, never knew that this song was a Bob Dylan cover. So there you have it. But I'm going to play it for you anyway, because it sounds great in the hands of Jason and the Scorchers. So here you go. This is Absolutely Sweet Marie. Yeah. 
Jason and the Scorchers right there with a really rockin' version of Absolutely Sweet Marie, which, like I said, found out recently. That's a Bob Dylan tune. How great does that sound, though, right? Check out Fervor and some of their other stuff. Cool band, Jason the Scorchers. Moving on to another act that gets a pass for being cool in a lot of different genres and clicks and stuff like that. Has fans all over the place, whether you're into metal or punk or pop. She's got fans everywhere, and I'm talking about Hall of Famer Joan Jett, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. This song right here was a B-side, a true B-side, because it was not on the album that she was promoting at the time, an album called Album, which you might be hearing more about that on the Countdown show coming up. There's a little tease. But she put out this cool single called Fake Friends, and on the flip side of the 45 album was this song right here, which I think it's good. It stands on its own in a sense that maybe it just didn't have a stylistic place on the album, but I think it's good enough to play here on Rock Strikes 10, so check it out. A song you may not have heard by Joan Jett before, if you didn't have the fake Friends single, or, or maybe some possible expanded version of it down the road. But here is Joan Jett and the Blackhearts with Nighttime. <laughs> You grew up on certain place 
So if you owned that 45 of fake friends with nighttime on the B side, then you definitely had an interesting experience. So I will say when I listen to the full length albums, a lot of times I'm out walking so I can concentrate on it the most, or I'm maybe laying in bed or something. I need to be able to actually listen to the album properly on the headphones and the whole thing. But I always try to make a point to definitely read two different pages about the album as my homework. I do read the wiki page for each album if it has one, and more often than not they do. And I do the Discogs page as well because that actually lets you know about the the full credits, like who wrote each individual song if it's on the wiki and it's definitely accurate because they come directly from the album notes and other interesting things such as session players and stuff like that because once again those credits aren't always on the wiki page and wiki is not gospel but it does have some cool stories on there for instance this one right here i may not have thought to even put nighttime on my odds and ends here for 1983 had i not known about its existence number one because i actually don't have the expanded cd version of album I like the album, album, but I just never got the remastered CD with the extra tracks. And I definitely should have. And I would have been like, oh, what's this? So at the end of Nighttime, the way it was pressed, they put a locked groove at the end. If you're a vinyl nerd, you know what that is, which means that riff that seemed to actually go on and on at the end of that song, you actually never heard the last tambourine percussive hit at the end if you had it on vinyl because it would just repeat over and over and over again, that little... So if you ever, ever, like I did, if you ever haunted a pizzeria back in the day with a jukebox that kept current on really cool songs of the day, and if you were a big mega music nerd, you would play the B-side, let me know. I'm sure this is a long shot, but if you ever played that particular song like at a Pizza Hut or something like that, or some other place, and it just kept going on and on again, because there's no way to stop it. You'd have to like actually like open the glass and take the needle off, or maybe unplug it, I don't know. But that's what would have happened had a jukebox that you played that song Nighttime on and had done that. That would have been an interesting scene, for sure. It's like, make it stop, it's broken. People, people are leaving. But I think that's fun. Locked grooves are interesting. It's definitely something that doesn't go on anymore unless you're Jack White, I suppose. So, there's all that. Let's get into this one right here. A really bouncy, mega-happy, standalone single by one of my favorite bands, Madness. And I'm not a huge fan of this song, but it is a very popular song by them. And I'd be remiss if I did not include it here in the 83 retrospective. But I like it okay. I like it enough. And apparently it got kind of a second life being used in movies and television shows and stuff like that because it's just so bloody nice but here you go this is madness with their 83 single called wings of a dove
Rites of Madness right there with Wings of a Dove. I still don't think they know how to play Summer Holiday by Cliff Richard, but if you know, you know. But if you hum it, they'll smash your face in. Okay, but yes, that was Wings of a Dove, 1983. Apparently, this was included on the U.S. version of the Keep Moving album that would come out later on, but I don't recognize that. If the song exists before the release of the album and it wasn't intended originally, then I don't count that. So it is an odd and end. And speaking of odds and ends, we go with a band that, in my opinion, and this is my opinion, only strictly did odds and ends. Now, this song comes off of, once again, what is technically referred to as a full-length album. But to me, 20 minutes does not a full-length make. Even though I love this band, we're going to get into some minor threat right here from their quote-unquote full-length album, Out of Step. They're only one, but there's a reason why their complete discography fits on one CD. It's because they don't have anything that's truly full length except for that complete discography CD. And I love them. They're straight edge heroes. I look up to them. Ian MacKay's the man. But yes, they put out this album out of step in 1983 at 20 minutes, but it's a really good 20 minutes. And we'll just go with what is my favorite song off of this full length album out of step. But this is minor threat with a really cool song called It Follows. Closing off the show here today and closing off volume two of the odds and ends of 1983. That was minor threat with it follows off of out of step. And once again, I got to recommend if you're going to get one thing by him, get that complete discography, all 48 minutes of it, every song they ever did. So like 40 songs, basically. No, I'm just kidding. I, it's a little less than that, but a band you should definitely know about an important band in the history of music overall minor threat. There you have it. We had a really nice song by Madness preceding that. We played some Herbie Hancock. We played some Hollow Notes. Played a lot of fun stuff here today on the episode. And and this is just a massive preamble to the epic 
epic big albums countdown of 1983. It's coming up soon, but we got to get through the whole alphabet here on the A to Z of the odds and ends of 83. So hope you're enjoying these episodes. Stay tuned. we got some more fun music on the way. Next episode definitely skews a little bit heavier, but there will be some other quote-unquote oddballs and odds and ends in there as well. But until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have Rock Strikes 10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on Sirius XM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business, Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Game show is brought to you by Christ. I can't find it. The hell with it.